Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. As we gather as your people, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive this as a word to us today. To receive it as you speaking identity and mission and purpose over us as a people and over each one of us. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. It's great to see you all, at least virtually from a distance. A quick disclaimer before we dive into this, this is a really significant passage, one of the most uh, profound theological sections of the gospels. And uh, what we see here uh, is a passage of scripture that has been used for centuries to build all sorts of theologies, has been debated and discussed countless times. And I would just say at the outset, in a 10 or 15 minute uh, video, in a 10 or 15 minute uh, conversation here, especially virtually online, we're just not going to have time, nor is it the place to really dive into these fully. Uh, We'd love to do so. We could literally take hours on this text. And instead, more realistically, I believe for us, what I want to do is to really just sit with a few simple questions, simple yet profound for our view of God and of ourselves and our mission as a church. And so uh, three questions I want us to ask today. Who is Jesus? Who is Peter? And who are we? Who is Jesus? Who is Peter? And who are we? Really, these questions are are closely related, more closely than you and I might initially think. Because uh, if I were to give you a one-sentence summary of this sermon, it would be something like this. Clarity on the identity of Jesus and on the mission of the church is essential if we hope to ever know who we are meant to be. I'll say that again, you and I having clarity on who Jesus is and who uh, the church is meant to be as personified in the person of Peter. If we are not clear on those two questions, we will never truly fully understand who you and I are meant to be as human beings. And so I think it is worth our time to take a few minutes and to sit with each of those today. So first question, very simply, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the days that Jesus walked the earth, if you read the gospel stories, this question permeates these early accounts. Everyone wanted to know who Jesus was. Uh, Questions of his mission, questions of his identity were central uh, to uh, his life. And really to anywhere he went, you saw these questions emerging. Jesus was, one might say, the talk of the town. And Central to that was his own identity. People wondered who he was. And we see that here today. In our reading today, you see the crowds and the masses speculating about his identity, saying maybe he was John the Baptist somehow. Maybe John the Baptist reincarnate or the spirit of John the Baptist at live and at work or one of the prophets, perhaps, the great prophets of Israel. You see this as well in other accounts. You see the religious elites on the one hand publicly trying to silence his message, seeing him as a dangerous, uh, possible revolutionary. And yet in private, you see some of them wondering and saying, who is this man? Who could this be? I think of John chapter three, Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the darkness of night, wondering fundamentally, who are you? Who is this man? And yet neither of those groups really is the focus here today because the reading that we just read, the focus is entirely on the people that knew Jesus best, his closest followers, his close dear friends. And Jesus asked them, really, he says, I'm not asking 
who the crowds say that I am. I'm not asking who the religious leaders say that I am. He says, who do you say that I am? How are they able to answer that question? Fundamentally for us today, how are we able to answer that question? And here's the thing that I love is what you see from Jesus' own mouth as they say, they say, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah, the promised one. Jesus says that the only way in which you are able to make that true confession is because the father has revealed this to you. Very clearly in that one sentence, you see no amount of historical study, no amount of uh, cultural context or uh, current kind of events or trends. None of that gave them the clarity that Jesus applauds. It's a gift given to them from the Father. Everyone wants to know who Jesus is. You see this even in our own day. This is not just for those who knew him and saw him in the ancient world. I think of at least once a year, I feel like for most of my life, when Easter rolls around, some special airs about the life of Jesus, whether it's Time Magazine or you know, 60 Minutes or you know, whatever it is, there's always this special where they've like found a rock with some inscription in the ancient Near East. And they, that is the key that we've been missing, the key that will tell us how many wives Jesus had and how many children he had and all the different you know, details that finally unlock the mystery of who Jesus is. And so this isn't just the ancient world. It seems as though for all of history, history is fascinated with the question of who is Jesus. And yet Jesus himself says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. So this this illumination, this clarity of vision, it's not their applied intellect. It is the gift of God, the gift of the father leading them from darkness into the light. And so As Jesus says that without missing a beat, he now moves into connecting that identity to him speaking identity over Peter. So that's our second question. Who is Peter? Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. When Jesus first met Peter, he gave him a nickname. He gave him the nickname Rock. And what he's doing here is he's playing on that nickname that he gave him. He's playing on it in ways that are really lost to us in our English translation. You see it very clearly in the Greek because in the Greek, the word Petros means Peter, but the word Petra means rock. It also means rock and roll because Petra was the greatest Christian rock band of the 80s and 90s, uh, indisputably. I'm, I'm hoping, Cindy, wherever you are in this room, I'm hoping when we get to the creed, you will lead us in Petra's version of the Nicene Creed. If you don't know it uh, while I'm wrapping up, please pull it up on YouTube and uh, I expect you to be ready. Um, no, Petra, Petra means rock, not rock and roll. Um, I read a commentator this week, they said it this way. They said, this is a really uh, ineloquent way of putting this, but to help us get the idea in English, it's like Jesus is saying to Peter, you are rocky and on this rock, I will build my church. They go on, the same commentator goes on to say, Peter is the rock, not in and of himself, but insofar as he embodies the church's confession. And so Jesus is saying the church's confession, which the early creed, the early three word creed of the church was this, Jesus is Lord. That's the rock upon which the church is built. That's the rock upon which death itself will not prevail. 
that nothing can claim victory over that profession. It's not Peter in and of himself. It is his profession that Jesus is Lord. I don't preach political sermons. And so uh, this is somewhat rare and it's not really political, but it's just simply to say this, we live in a a remarkable moment right now because uh, literally this very moment, we in our country in an election cycle are between two conventions even. One is wrapped up, one is about to begin. And I'm reminded of it this week because as I watch the news, the little bit of news that I, I catch, I'm reminded we see the same thing. We hear the same message every four years, which is this person alone will save us. This person will cure all of our societal ills. And the only way we are free from them is if you vote for this person and not the opponent. We heard that all week this week. Next week, we will hear the exact same thing just with different people. This person alone will save us. And if you want to see our society go in the direction it's meant to go, you must vote for them. Otherwise we face sure and certain demise. As Christians, we have to be able to say to both of these claims, Jesus is Lord. Donald Trump will not save us. Joe Biden will not save us. Nowhere in scripture does it say that the gates of hell will never prevail against America. That promise is only given in one direction and it's to the church. And we as the church, we as Christians have to be able to transcend and supersede any other claims that surround us that say this will save you. This will set you free. And in this moment, we have to be able to see this. And so all I would say is in this moment, do not misplace your trust. Do not misplace your trust. Voting matters. Democracy matters, freedom matters. I'm not saying these are inconsequential realities, but your ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ and fidelity to his kingdom and do not ever forget it and do not misplace your trust and do not be misled. Do not be distracted in this moment because there are countless figures who want to tell you otherwise who long for your allegiance and will say, uh, put your hope and your trust in me and I will lead you to a sure and certain future. We have to be able to wade through the mess. We have to be able to be a bit like St. Peter, be like the apostles and in chaotic times, see with great clarity what is actually true. It's good to remember, it's not just Peter. It's the whole of the apostles. It is their shared confession that Jesus is celebrating. And it's that shared confession that comes all the way down to you and me because these apostles who said as a gift of the father, Jesus is Lord, they set out and started churches all over the ancient world. And they died for that faith. They were martyred for their profession that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And those churches, they passed on to other faithful leaders and they passed them on and on and on and all the way to you and to me. And so the question before us is, do we stand in this lineage? Do you and I embody the church's confession? I think that's how we can begin to answer the question, who are we? And that's where we'll close today. Who are we? Well, I think in short, we're meant to be like Peter. We're meant to be like the disciples, to be people who can see through the chaos of the crowds, through the masses, and hear the voice of the Father telling us who Jesus is, inviting us into fidelity to his kingdom. One of the things I love about Jesus is he speaks identity over us even when we are incredibly weak. 
because you'll remember uh, Peter, the rock upon whom the church is built, is in and of himself a fairly weak and frail man. Just a few weeks ago, we read the story of him uh, walking on water and yet, yet doubting and seeing the storms all around him and the fear that he allowed to overtake his soul. At the very final chapters of the gospel, when we reach the end of Jesus' life on earth, we see Peter denying Jesus outright. The one who here is called uh, the rock upon whom the church is built. Peter says uh, with explicitives in his mouth, I, I, I never knew the man. Jesus knows this to be true. It's not like that surprised Jesus. And yet he's still able to say, you are the rock upon which the church will be built. And that's the thing I love about Jesus is that he speaks truth to the lies that we believe that say we are defined by our failures or by our weakness. Jesus speaks to really the deepest longings of our hearts. He speaks the truest identity over you and me uh, when we are prone to believe countless other things about ourselves. And it may sound cliche to say this, but I believe it's true. You and I long to know who we are. We fundamentally long to know our true identity. We want identity spoken over us and we search for it and we grasp for it in countless ways. We long for it from our work or from our appearance, our health, our relationships, on and on and on we could go. And yet I think one of the greatest challenges to the Christian life is to believe that our primary identity is the one that Jesus speaks over us. Just like our primary identity is as a citizen of his kingdom, do you allow that identity to shape who you are, to be the truest thing that has ever been said about you? That's why baptism is so powerful. That's why baptism is such a significant part of our Christian identity. And we'll, we'll close here. I've had baptisms on my heart and my mind recently. We've been catching up on a bit of a backlog of Easter baptisms. We had all these uh, baptisms lined up for Easter and then a, a small global pandemic hit and affected our Easter season in a few ways. One of which was we were not able to have our baptism services. And so what we've been doing in recent weeks uh, is having some of those families, and if you are one of them or, or in the near future are curious about baptism, we hope to be able to do this, uh, reach out and let us know, is in smaller settings, kind of one family at a time, we've been having private baptism services. And we had our first one uh, last week. And at that service last week, after this service, we talked a good bit about names and the significance of names. Uh, if I'm honest, for me, names are a tricky thing because I've spent my whole life going by a nickname that no one knows or understands uh, because it's not really a, a familiar name. Bristol Palin helped out with that one. Uh, Bristol Palin named her kid Trip, And so uh, up until then though, it was really a, a dark, dark and lonely place. <laughs> um, not quite as much now, but it's still a little bit. It's still a little lonely. Um, I, I, along those lines, I thought of a story. We used to live in Canada um, when I went to school there and went to a very English Anglican church, very English uh, place culturally. And I remember one Sunday I was volunteering and helping out at the soundboard. And this very English elderly woman, she was about 127 years old. Uh, and she, uh, she came up to me. Um, I'm truly just in the last years of her life, um, but very proper, very English. And uh, she came to get a, a listening device, like a, a assisted listening device at the soundboard. And uh, she asked my name and I said, my name was Trip. And she said, what's your name? And I said, Trip. And she kind of, you know, cocked her head to the side and looked very perplexed. And uh, she said, is that your Christian name? <laughs> and uh, if you're not 95 years old in English, you may not know what she's referencing, but 
She was a good, faithful daughter of the church who'd grown up for decades in a culture in which you were given what they called a Christian name at baptism. And that's a long way around to say, in baptism, we are given an identity. And even early, from the various early times of the church, you see in a baptism service, that's where you're given a name. Um, and that name has meaning. I think that's part of my restlessness with always going by a nickname is that it, it, I know inherently, intuitively, that names carry weight and they carry meaning. And so when we had our service last week, in any baptism I do, I said this, I said, uh, more than filling out a form for social security, more than sending out your birth announcements to your friends and family. It's in this moment, if you are having a child, especially a child baptized, that you are speaking identity over them and giving them a name. And yes, there's a particular name that they are given, but each and every one of us in our baptism, whether we are young or whether we are older, we are all given a shared name, which is the name Christian. And that's why baptism is so central to this question of who are we? because it's in baptism that we are aligned with the people of God, with the family of God and say, Christian is my fundamental primary identity. It's why back in ancient times, when we gathered together for church in person, uh, you would see people from time to time dip their hand in the, the font at the entrance of church and make the sign of the cross. For them, that is a way to say, whatever other identities I carry and threaten to be a primary identity in my life Monday through Saturday, when I enter this space, I long to remember what is ultimately fundamentally true which is my baptism, my identity with Jesus and his church is the truest, most beautiful statement of who I am and who I was meant to be. And so let that be true of us this week, especially in these chaotic, crazy times. Remember who you are and join us as we confess the faith of the church. That's why we say the creed every week. It is a way for us to realign ourselves as a community into this true and foundational identity. And so to that end, I'll invite Daryl to join us and we will profess our faith together. God bless you.